Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Tamara. Weird old King Ahaz. We will get back to him, but I need to underscore that he was weird. And, and you know what, he could have used, um, he could have used this. If you are visiting with us today, watch this. Oh, it's okay. Watch this. God's mind about you is made up and the news is? Man. If you were to ask me to characterize my calling today, after having been in, in ministry uh, so long, if you were to ask me to characterize the mission of the church today after having been here and followed in some pretty serious footsteps over the years. Here's what I would say about me and about us. I am, we are here to make sure as best we can that you know that God loves you. End of story. We, we are here to try as best we can through songs, through liturgy, through the word preached, through the word Read, scripture read, that is our job. That is job one. And if we don't get to job one, there is no job two. Make sense? And I recognize also that sometimes people have a hard time wrapping their minds around this crucial fact that God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. If that's you, if you have trouble allowing that to be the compass that you would use to navigate all of life, I don't, I don't think you're necessarily unusual. I mean, Ahaz was in the line of David. David, known as the man after God's own heart. And somehow you would think that something of that family story would be transmitted to Ahaz. But Ahaz lost that grip on the knowledge of the love of God. And when a person or a people meant to be God followers lose that grip on the foundational love of God, then we become something we weren't meant to be. How many of you feel like that you might have become something you weren't meant to be? 
Make no mistake about it, love is the standard for those of us who would follow Jesus. And it is both the means and the end. It is our reason and our reaction. God loves us, and by loving us unlocks our capacity to love, and not just in sentimental sorts of ways, this is so important, but in deep, transformational sorts of ways. That is our belief, that love transforms. And all of God's people said, Okay, well, we can do better. It's okay. We'll get there. <laughs> love transforms. For so many of us, we would say, love, that love has transformed us. And love continues to transform us as we then love in ways that are transformational for the people and the circumstances around us. Unless you've lost your grip on that fact. Unless you've lost your grip, unless your imagination no longer operates with that as the central organizing, animating force of life, if you are suffering the ache, and, and by that, again, I'm, I'm still borrowing from Richard Beck, author Richard Beck in a book that we read, a group of us, not too long ago. If you are suffering the ache, which is sort of the absence of that deep certainty of the reality of God and the reality of the love of God, if you are suffering the ache, then it stands to reason that you will have lost some sense of wonder. Look at that face, y'all. Think of the ways that you would describe that face and what it is that she is experiencing in that moment. And you will find that you are using many of the same adjectives that I, as your pastor, hope, hope, hope that you're using as it has to do with your life in Christ. There is a hopeful anticipation here. There is an excitement about what is to come. There is a recognition of something bigger and beyond her that she is ready for, anxious for, eager for. How, how am I doing? Am I describing what is true about your life of faith? Or perhaps am I describing what you really wish was true? about your life of faith. The uh, Christmas season that we're in, this Advent season, whoops, let's try this again. This Advent season that we're in has a weekly theme to it. And like we've already said, today is the theme of love. We've, we've had joy, and we've had peace, we've had hope, and today is love. Today, we, we take a step back and we say, okay, let's make sure that we all mean the same thing when we use this terminology of love, and let's try to figure out how it is that the Advent season and the upcoming Christmas season tells us what we need to know about God and about love. When love is at a deficit, when love is at a deficit, things break. When love is not at a deficit, things mend and heal and live. And if you don't believe it, just ask Scrooge. Charles Dickens wrote uh, A Christmas Carol in the mid-1800s. But did you know that Charles Dickens wrote this intending for it to be understood as social commentary? Dickens' family, his parents, his dad spent time in a debtor's prison. And the debt was so great that an elementary age, Charles Dickens, had to leave school to go work in factories to try to somehow buy his dad's freedom. And in the process of all of that, he recognized that there was something other than love that was animating and operating the world, the culture around him. He was in London. 
I would submit that it's not always the selfless, non-scorekeeping love of God that animates and organizes and operates the world. Anybody else see that out there? Sometimes it's something other than selfless, sacrificial love. Dickens recognized this, recognized this to be a serious problem, and so, trying to give voice to that problem, he writes a Christmas carol. This is somebody who has lost wonder. <laughs> this is somebody who is captured by cynicism, negativity. Something other than love animates and operates his life until a very eventful night in which there were multiple night visitors. And after these night visitors, there is this miraculous change. Look at this. That's a very different look on his face. <laughs> and if you read it, regardless of, what, regardless of what image or what movie or it is that you're picturing, everybody can see that there is a dramatic change. He goes from no wonder to wonder. Maybe you're saying he goes from, uh, well, meanness to relief that he's not dead, <laughs> Right? But, but I would say there is a lack of love and then there is an abundance of love because of the night visitors. And, and maybe some of you are saying, yeah, I think if I could have some night visitors myself, I might be able to recover something. Now, the thing is, we find ourselves at times kind of understanding where Scrooge is on the left. Sometimes we do. And sometimes it's not that we're Scrooge, but we are so convinced of the reality of a Scrooge out there or of the dynamics out there that would produce a Scrooge, right? Sometimes that's what costs us wonder. It's not necessarily that you're Scrooge, you might be Scrooge. But I don't know very many Scrooges, not in this church at least, we've sent them to other churches. Sometimes that inner monologue just gets the best of you sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes I'm around people who perhaps have landed in a place of cynicism because they have seen these sorts of dynamics play out around them and they are just so wounded that the landing spot ends up being cynicism, doubt, disillusionment. We've been trying to speak to you, to us, this Advent season. The recovery of wonder is crucial to who we are as the people of God. The recovery of wonder, the regular recovery of wonder is crucial to who I am as your pastor. But you need to hear me say this again. I understand and it's normal when sometimes the circumstances of life intimidate us away from wonder, intimidate us away from faith. I'll tell you who else understand that, understands that is God. And so God comes alongside to say, listen, I know things can get rough. Exile is tough. I mean, the Assyrians are terrifying. And so I'm gonna to try to leave hints and clues along the way on your path. Hints and clues along the way that should awaken your imagination just enough to go, oh wait, God is out there. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is not the ultimate ruler of the universe. I see this sign here or there, here or there, that reminds me that there is something, someone else out there that I'm not ultimately at the mercy of Sennacherib. Ahaz felt like he had no choice but to abandon wonder and faith. Isaiah chapter seven, verse one. 
In the day has, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, King Razan of Aram and King Pekah, son of Ramaliah of Israel, went up to attack Jerusalem, but could not mount an attack against it. Let me tell you what has happened. The kingdom has divided, it's already divided, between southern kingdom Judah and northern kingdom Israel. The Assyrians are lurking somewhere out there. The Assyrians are about to come through and, and ransack everything. So Israel has said to Judah, let's join forces again. Let's, let's be, let's, hopefully we can all be together and withstand this attack that's coming. And Judah says, no, we're not interested in partnering with you. And so Israel says, well, fine, then I'll get a partner and we will conquer you. Israel says, we will conquer you, southern kingdom of Judah. I will bring the whole army of Aram with me and we will conquer you. And then we will force this alliance on you. Well, Ahaz has some decisions to make. Lots of people are counting on him. Lots of people are counting on him. Now, Isaiah is in his ear saying, hey, listen, let's do the godly thing. Let's, let's do the godly thing. Let's do the faithful thing. We don't have to do the thing that you, you do when you're constantly doing political calculations. Let me ask you this question. How do you navigate your life, a difficult home life, a difficult work life? How do you navigate traffic? <laughs> How do you navigate your whole life? What is the compass that you use to navigate life? We Christians are meant to use this compass that I would describe today as the love we see demonstrated in Christ. That, that is meant to be our compass, meant to help us to uh, faithfully fulfill the obligations of our calling, no matter the difficult spaces we find ourselves in. But what is it that animates you? What compass do you use? There are lots of people out there. Again, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in the room. But there are lots of people out there who use the compass of political calculation to order their steps. And sometimes, y'all, ready for this? Sometimes the compass of political calculation causes you to take steps that you might not take if you were animated and organized and led by the compass of suffering, sacrificial love like we see it in Christ. Yep, I'm gonna say it again. Sometimes living as a Christian means that you don't live according to your calculations of politics and power. And all God's people said, Amen. but John, I could lose in the office. If I don't play this particular game, I could lose in the office. And if it costs me a promotion, you know, that means it's not going in the offering plate, Pastor. We'll be fine without your promotion. What we need, what the people of God need, what God wants from you, is for you to have but one compass. One. But sometimes the people of God, intimidated as they might be by circumstances, find themselves using the other compass the compass of political and power calculation. That's what's happening to Ahaz here. And so Isaiah goes to him and says, Ahaz, God loves you. God loves us. Ahaz, I know I'm just a prophet over here, but I, I kind of think God's trustworthy. I, I think God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. Maybe we should... Maybe we should stand here and not over there. In fact, he says this, Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in faith, then you shall not stand at all. And this is when God says, yeah, 
And if you'll just look up, there are going to be signs around you to remind you that I'm here and that I love you. For example, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask me for something. How crazy is this? God says, you need a sign? I'll give it to you. You need a big one? I'll give it to you. You need a small one? I will give you that one too. And Ahaz, in his false piety, this has to be drive God crazy then and now. Ahaz says, oh no, thank you for the offer, God. <laughs> but I would never put God to the test. I would never put you to the test. Thank you, God, but I'm gonna go ahead and, and trust the political calculations I don't want to risk this faith thing because there's lots of people depending on me. And that's when Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David. <laughs> Is it too little for you to weary mortals that you must weary God also? This is God saying through Isaiah, Ahaz, you are wearing me out with your piety, with all of your machinations, with you trusting that other compass instead of trusting me. You are wearing me out. I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And here's a sign I'm going to give you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Now, it doesn't actually say, it doesn't actually use the word uh, that we would necessarily translate as virgin. That would have been a huge, miraculous sort of thing. And that word is going to be used in a different way later on. We're going to get to Joseph later on. But right here, this is what is being said to Ahaz. Look, there is going to be a very normal sort of sign around you, but it's going to be around you all the time. There's a woman right over here. You see her? She's going to give birth to a son here pretty soon. And her son, we're going to name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means what? And every time you see little Emmanuel run across the aisle of the church, every time you see little Emmanuel at his ball games, voice recitals, every time you see little Emmanuel here and there, you're going to go, oh, that's Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. In other words, listen to this. Even for goofy, dumb, weird King Ahaz, God was willing to put signs around him to say, remember me. Remember, not just remember me, but remember that I'm always here with you. This little kid's gonna be running around all the time and every time you like lock eyes with that kid, remember, God is with us. And by the way, when this, when this kid just is a couple of years old, we're gonna handle all this other stuff and sure enough, that's how it worked out. In a couple of years, this will all resolve itself, and you will see this Emmanuel around, and remember, hopefully, because your eyes are able to read the signs, God is with us. What if your pastor were to suggest, especially to those of you who sometimes struggle to keep both hands, keep both hands on this notion that God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. What if your pastor were to suggest to you that there are already in place perhaps very normal signs that when properly understood and properly interpreted could remind you on a regular, if not a daily, perhaps even an hourly basis, what if I were to suggest to you that there are already signs around you that would remind you of God's love for you? if you have eyes to see them. 
Now, if you don't have eyes to see them, here's the thing, you won't see them. If you lack the requisite amount of wonder, then the signs can be all around you and you will not see them. And when you don't see those signs, slowly but surely, that resource bleeds away. And your capacity to live according to this compass of faith is lost. But you need a compass, and so you'll pick up another one, and so you pick up the compass of political calculation. And now, armed with the compass of political calculation, you will start to make your way through life. But you will do so without wonder, and at some point, you will be the person who wonders where God went. At some point, you will doubt whether or not God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. This story doesn't end well. If you read on into chapter eight, Ahaz, though he's been given these assurances, these signs to be seen, these normal signs to be seen on a daily basis, Ahaz refuses it all, chooses the wrong compass, and everybody pays the price, ultimately. You can read some more of that in chapter eight. We have another passage that we could have read today out of Matthew chapter one. He too is in a serious situation. He too is in a situation that uh, might be fraught with political, let's say, or cultural or societal consequences. Turns out this guy has fallen for this young woman by the name of Mary. There's gonna be a huge wedding, y'all. Huge, huge wedding. Problem is, it seems that Mary is with child prior to the wedding. Can you sense the scandal here? Now, what should he do? Well, that depends on what compass you're holding, right? Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus and the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, a good man, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. He's keenly aware of the stakes here. He's aware of how embarrassing this might be for him, but also for her. Thankfully, he is kind enough to want to, at least, shield her from public scorn. But don't mistake here, Joseph also wants to avoid the costly spotlight because who among us can afford this kind of a bruise to a reputation? Verse 20 but just when he had resolved to do this, Joseph had a night messenger. <laughs> An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, whoops, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took her as his wife. He listened. He listened. He heard God say through the messenger, no, I love you and I will love through you and through this kid. 
Love can make a real comeback here, but it will require you to recover the right kind of compass. I I get it, Joseph. This is a fraught sort of situation here, and we all kind of understand why it is that you were going to do what you were going to do. And by the way, we're kind of impressed that you're kind enough to do it in in a nice sort of way. But God says there is something bigger going on here, and you will need the eyes of faith to make a decision that won't make sense to hardly anybody else. You need to keep her. You need to go through with it. Hopefully you'll develop a deafness where all of the whispers are concerned out there. Stay with it, stay with the plan because I'm going to do something big here. How big? Well, this name, you're gonna name him Jesus, which means God saves. This Jesus will be the constant daily reminder that God's mind about all of us is made up and the news is good. Somehow, with the help of the night messenger, Joseph was able to recover a sense of wonder. Wonder. Now, some of you are saying, I could use a well-placed night messenger (laughs) to help me in my process of recovering wonder. In fact, some of you might say, I would go through a very difficult night if it meant on the next morning I could be a person with regained sense of wonder. If you feel the ache, you're in the right place. If you feel the ache, if you have anywhere the desire to be a person who has that look on his or her face as it has to do with this entire season, with a life of faith, you're in the right place. I don't want you to play act. This is the right time to, Advent is the right time to say, God, I want to want these things. I have this deep hope and expectation that I can recover everything that I see in that little girl's face. This is the right season for you to say, God, somehow visit me. Help me to see what it is that I've been missing or what I've forgotten. God, help me to recover this compass that allows me to walk not by political calculation, but allows me to walk by faith, that allows me to recover this sense of wonder. Keep in mind, I want to say this to us again. Richard Rohr said this, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. We see things as we are. This is why we sing what we sing. This is why we read the scriptures that we read. This is why we do baby dedications the way that we do them. This is why we use the lectionary because the lectionary helps me to tell the story on a regular basis. And the story has a title. It goes like this. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. This is why. Because I know, we know, God knows that there are things about life in this particular culture and society that sometimes rob us of wonder, rob us of the certainty of love, rob us of what it is that we see on Hazel's face in that picture. Yeah, it's okay, come to church. Sing the songs. Speak up when you're supposed to own a good baby dedication. Come to the table. Before we come to the table, I want to remind us of a a song written by Charles Wesley. 
It's entitled, Love Divine, All Love Excelling. And this verse caught me, and you'll see why. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till with thee we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee, and here it is, lost in wonder, love, and praise. We Christians, at least around here, are the people who recognize that that is the goal, the destination. And we recognize that liturgy is one of the ways that we take incremental steps toward the realization of that destination. And so if you're helping us today, come and set the table. Let me just quickly remind us what's happening here. Our tradition, it goes something like this. We, we do not necessarily believe that this is the body and blood, but we do believe that there is something about this moment. There's something about this moment that can so shape your imagination and your eyesight that maybe you'll catch a glimpse of the God who loves Maybe your eyes will focus just so that you can see these signs that are available to you on a regular basis. Maybe you will be able to hear God in a way that you might not have been able to hear before. We believe that this sacramental moment awakens the senses to the God who is always there, always speaking. It's not whether or not God's going to speak, it's whether or not you and I have the capacity to listen. And so, the broken body and the shed blood are meant to fund and fuel your imagination. That you might be able to spot the love of God, the loving God, in a moment's notice. So in a second, I'll ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, and to come forward to receive these gifts of bread and cup. Now, if you would, please come with your hands cupped because this is grace. You can't buy it. You can't swipe it. You can't charge it. <laughs> this is a gift of grace. So with your hands cupped, what will happen is you'll approach a person holding a, a plate of bread. That person will take a piece and press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. You'll see somebody right here holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. Simple prayer today. We have a chance to be Ahaz or Joseph today. God, give me the eyes to see you. God, give me the ears to hear you. That I might live according to this particular compass and not default back into the compass of political and power calculation. Now you can pray that prayer at one of these side padded healing altars. If you do, somebody will meet you there and pray a prayer for healing and it doesn't really matter. It can be physical, mental, emotional, familial. We will pray that prayer for you there. Someone will meet you and anoint you with oil. Or you can pray at one of these kneeling benches up front. And if you do, we won't assume anything, but somebody at some point We'll touch you on the head, the back, just to let you know that you're not alone because you're not. Or you can circle right back around to your seat and pray, which is just fine. You may wanna make a special trip down here to dip your fingers into this bowl, meant to represent the moment of your baptism and your inclusion into the people of God, the people with a particular calling, which is to love 
as we have been loved. And if you need to be reminded that you're included, this water might just do the trick for you. If you would like to participate, but not in this very public sort of way, you need something because you're, you're concerned. And by the way, welcome, glad that you are here. If you pr prefer something that is prepackaged, then back there at the back, Jason has uh, a bunch of the prepackaged elements and I will already have done the ritual so you can just take and eat as soon as you would like to. And you don't have to participate at all. All are welcomed and invited, but none are compelled. You may be asking, do I qualify? If you recognize your need for grace, then you qualify. That's all it takes. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And so God bless these elements now, bless them. And use them, God, use them to fund and fuel our imaginations that we might be able to spot you and hear you like Joseph. Give us the strength to not be Ahaz. Give us the capacity to see the signs of your love, the reminders of your love all around us on a regular basis so that we can in fact be the people that you've called us to be. And now all around the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
going to offer a few words of confession. Thank you, Madison. Before turning it over to Jason for prayers of petition. Heavenly Father, we confess that sometimes we are intimidated away from the life that you've called us to. Father, we confess that sometimes we do have a little bit more in, con in common with Ahaz than we'd like to admit. Sometimes it seems like the right and prudent thing to do to live life via political calculation. Which means, God, that in that moment we've lost a sense of wonder. And now in your own prayers, as I get out of the way, would you pray that confession if in fact I've just described you? Perhaps ask the question, God, how is it that I navigate my way through life? What compass do I use for the most difficult circumstances I may find myself in this week? Jason, may the Almighty God have mercy on all of us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. As we turn our hearts towards prayers of intercession, we want to lift up Glenn Fain, who's in the hospital. What a treat to have Betty in the room this morning with us, worshiping with us. And Betty, we love you and we're glad you're here. Well, we're going to begin our prayers, praying for your husband, who's in the hospital in Wichita. And so, Jesus, we do turn our hearts towards you in these moments of intercessory prayer, asking for your healing touch, kindness, compassion, and loving presence to be with Glenn Fain. And God, we ask for healing, for strength, for clarity of mind. And God, we ask that you would be with this family as they surround him in love and Betty as she spends Christmas here. And God, as we turn towards some of the needs in the life of the community, we ask at this time that you would be with those who need you the most. Some for this week as Christmas nears, traditions may be changing because life changes and there's been loss. And so we pray for those who will sit around perhaps a Christmas table this Christmas Eve or Christmas as they celebrate this wonderful season and the gift of Emmanuel. But for those who have experienced loss and whose tables look a little bit different, we ask God that you would be with those who mourn and those who need your comfort. We ask God for your loving presence to surround people who really, really need you the most. God, we ask you to be with those who are incarcerated. We ask you, God, be with those who are troubled, lonely, alone. And God, we ask that your loving presence would be Emmanuel, God with us, God with them this week and the week ahead. 
God, we ask that you would take care of some folks who just are without hope and who this week, God, does not mean it's a moment of celebration, but it's a moment of difficulty and loss. And so may your love light and lead the way for those. God, we ask this year that it may be a moment for all of us and each of us to take this week and wonder. And God, would you amaze us and surprise us with your love? A few more prayers, but I want to ask Mark to maybe move into some silence as we take a moment this fourth Sunday of Advent for just 30 seconds of silence to hear what God may have for us. And so I invite you to listen to see what God may have for us in prayer before we continue. Let's pray together in silence. And so, God, as the season of Advent, as we wait for your coming, we ask God and thank you for the gift of silence and wonder. And we ask God that you would speak to each of us and all of us by your Spirit in the coming days. And now, Lord, would you transform us continually to be your people, transformed by this prayer. And church, would you pray the Lord's Prayer now as you see it on the screens in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.